We'll be finishing up the book of Ephesians today, Ephesians 6, verses 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. One of the saddest songs that I have ever heard is, of course, a country music song. All the good sad songs are country songs. Uh, This song was written by Dolly Parton, and it is called I Will Always Love You. Some of you perhaps have heard the Whitney Houston version of this particular song. Anyway, you would think a song with the title I Will Always Love You would be a happy song. You would think so. But it's not. It is a country song. It's a sad song about a woman who realizes that her man believes that she is not what he needs. And so he, she decides that she will let him go. But her parting words to her man are not words of anger and hostility. She does not tell him that she hopes that he has a miserable life. That's not how she says goodbye. Instead, she sends him away with her best wishes. She says to him, I will always love you. And she wishes for him that life would treat him kind. She wishes that his dreams would come true and that he would have joy and happiness and love. At the end of this song, I just feel sad for this particular woman. Part of me wants to tell her, forget about this loser. If he can't stay faithful to you, you're better off without him. But the song simply ends with the heartbreak of unrequited love. At the end of his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul does not have sad words to say to the church. There is no unrequited love here. No, Paul loves the church, and the church loves him back. So Paul, as he closes his letter, says goodbye to the church with his best wishes for the church. Paul wishes for the church four good things that he writes about at at the end of his letter with the goal in mind of praying these best wishes into the people of the church. And so I would encourage you as well, as we go through this list of best wishes today, that you would think of people that you can pray for these best wishes into their lives. So let's read from Ephesians 6 today and see what we can pray and wish for the Christians that we love. First of all, our our best wishes are for peace for the church. This wish for peace is found in verse 23. Peace be to the brothers. And if you look in your footnotes and your Bibles, you can see that Paul wishes peace for both the brothers and the sisters. Paul is not sexist. He loves both the men and the women. Paul has mentioned peace as a wish for the church many times in his letter to the Ephesians. He opened his letter in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2 by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then a few weeks ago, Pastor Travis preached 
about the gospel of peace that is found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. But I think the, the clearest description of the peace that God wants to bring to us and to the church is found in Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like for us to, to read those verses together, so if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, turn back with me to Ephesians 2 and verses 14 through 16. There we read Paul write, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what has Jesus done for us, according to these verses? First of all, we see that Jesus has brought peace between us and God through his death for our sins on the cross. We see that we have that peace. We also see that God has forgiven us completely of our sin. And then secondly, Jesus has brought peace between Christians, between Christians as we live together. For the Ephesians, Jesus brought peace particularly between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. There was to be no racism at all in the church. Why not? because Jesus had made peace between Jews and Gentiles in the church. He has broken down the wall of hostility that was erected between them. Now the peace with God that we have experienced through Christ overflows from us, and it extends to the people in the church. We are at peace not only with God, we are also at peace with other Christians no matter what their race. Paul gives an example of the type of peace that God has brought between Jewish and Gentile Christians in the person of Tychicus, who is mentioned in verses 21 and 22. Tychicus is a Gentile name. But even though Tychicus was a Gentile, he served the Jewish church by bringing with him and Paul a large sum of money that had been collected for the church in Jerusalem as they suffered through a famine. Paul went with Tychicus to bring this gift to the Jews who were there in Jerusalem. And you see the affection and the love that the Gentile Paul has for the or the Gentile Tychicus and the Jew Paul have for one another in verse 21, where Paul writes that Tychicus is the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. So Paul uses the same language to describe Tychicus that God himself will use on Judgment Day. For in Judgment Day, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 that God will say to all of us who have been faithful to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is exactly what Paul writes about Tychicus here in Ephesians 6. Tychicus is a good and faithful servant. Can you see the peace and the love that it was experienced between both Paul and Tychicus? This peace came from the fact that both Paul and Tychicus were at peace 
with God. How wonderful it is when we wish for peace for all of God's people. So is there a Christian family member or friend from this church who comes to your mind right now who is lacking in peace? Can you think of someone? My encouragement to you is to pray for that person throughout this week. Perhaps you will want to write their name down on your sermon outline today to remind you to pray for this person who needs the peace of God. If someone is being weighed down by guilt and shame before God, pray that they might be able to know the joy and the freedom of God's forgiveness. And if that Christian is fighting with another Christian, pray that they might be able to forgive as they have been forgiven. When you have peace with God and peace with other Christians, you have another kind of peace as well. It is the inner peace described by the Hebrew word shalom, which speaks of a, a wholeness, a completeness in every area of your life. So send your best wishes of peace to your Christian family and friends through prayer this week. Our best wishes are not only for peace for the church, our best wishes as well are for love for the church. Love is very important to Paul. The word love is used 14 times in his letter to the Ephesians. So clearly, Paul wants us to know both the love that comes from God to us and the love that overflows from us to other Christians in the church. He wishes love for the church in verse 23. A Sunday school teacher of kindergarten students wanted to try something different one year for St. Patrick's Day. She asked the students to bring to class that next week something green that you love for the holiday. And so the next Sunday, the students brought in with them their usual green hats and green sweaters and green books. But there was one student who came to Sunday school class that week with a, an especially big grin on his face. Behind him, wearing a green dress, was his four-year-old sister. The love that this boy had for his sister is to fill every Christian as we relate to one another. The Ephesian church was especially good at love. Look back at what Paul writes in Ephesians 1 and verse 15. There Paul had written to the church for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Isn't that a great reputation for a church to have? That they love all of the saints. They don't just love the people in the church who are easy to love. They love even the annoying people in the church. That's how much they love one another. And because they loved so well, Paul prayed that they would continue to love. That was his best wish for the church, that they would continue to be marked as people of love. <clears throat> and so he especially prayed for their love in my favorite prayer in the whole Bible, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 17 to 19. Listen as I read what Paul prayed 
There in Ephesians 3.17, we read, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is making an assumption in these verses. He is assuming that no one in the church understands how great God's love for them is. That's the assumption that he makes when he prays. He is saying that you have no idea how much God loves you. Is that true for us as well? Do we also have no clue how great God's love for us is? I think it is true. God's love for us is so measureless and vast, we can never reach the end of it. And as a result, we don't have any idea how greatly God loves us. Would it be a good thing then to, to know better how great God's love for us is? Would that be good? Well, that is Paul's best wish for the church, that they might know this great love of Christ, that they might begin to, to grasp some of the endless dimensions of it. Is there someone then in your family or in your church family who is expressing doubt about God's love for them? Maybe they've been experiencing tough times lately. Maybe they are grieving a recent loss. Maybe they don't understand why God has not answered their prayers. The best thing that you can wish for such a Christian is that they might know deep in their heart how much God loves them. And you can send your best wishes along to such Christians who need a reminder of God's love for them through your prayers. Perhaps you can pray that this Christian will begin to grasp what Paul writes about God's love in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. There Paul had written that in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Before your Christian friends and family members were even born, God looked down and saw into the future and he said, I want that person in my family. If I could choose anyone to be part of my family, I would choose her. I would choose him. What's the only explanation for why parents choose to adopt? Why would parents go through all of that work that's involved in raising children? Why would they do that? The only explanation for adoption is love. And love is the only explanation for why God chose to bring you and every other Christian into his family. Yes, life does get hard sometimes. But the difficulty of life does not mean that God has stopped loving you. God never leaves us or forsakes us. So who do you know who needs a fresh reminder this week of God's great love for them? Who do you know who needs that reminder? 
Send your best wishes for them to know God's love for them through your prayers. And maybe you can, again, write their name down on your sermon outline to remember to pray for those people. Well, our best wishes are not only for love for the church, our, our best wishes also are for faith for the church. Paul expresses these best wishes for the Ephesian church in verse 23, where he says, Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wishes the Christians at Ephesus faith. But what exactly is faith? There seems to be a, a lot of confusion these days about what faith is and what faith means. I remember that about the same time that Dolly Parton was singing, I Will Always Love You, there was an, another song on the radio at that time by Billy Joel, who sang about keeping the faith. In that particular song, Billy Joel sang about the days of his youth and how life in a rock and roll band saved him and enabled him to have success and to do immoral things with beautiful girls whose names he did not even know. While he lived this way, Billy Joel said he was keeping the faith. But what exactly did he have faith in? He had faith in the power of rock and roll to give him the empty way of life that he lived. This is obviously not the type of faith that God wants for us to have. But faith is important to Paul because he writes about faith seven different times in the letter to the Ephesians. So what exactly is faith? Biblical faith is two things. It is belief and trust. Belief and trust. You can see on the front cover of your bulletin this morning that a, a true disciple believes certain things. If you are a, a Christian, you believe certain things. We believe what the Bible teaches about God and what the Bible teaches about ourselves. We put our faith in the truth that we have read in the Bible. We believe it. But faith does not stop with just belief. Faith must move from belief to trust. We must have both in order to have true faith. We have to believe, but then we also must trust. We must act on our beliefs because we trust that what God says is true. We trust God's word and we trust God's goodness on the basis of what we believe in his word. This morning, I brought a picture with me that I'd like for you to, to look at. It's a picture of, of this particular lady, and this is what she's thinking as she thinks about flying. Her experience is one of complete terror as she thinks about getting on an airplane. Do you know any people like that who hate to fly? People who get terrified of flight. Well, I think this lady in this picture, I think she, she does believe in the physics of flight. She has watched planes take off and she has watched planes land, so she knows that it is possible for planes to fly. She believes in the science of flight. But while she believes in the science, she does not have enough trust to get into a plane and fly to a destination. She does not have the trust. And without trust, 
you cannot say that you really have faith. Faith requires both belief and trust. Trust is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to God. In just a few months, some of our radio stations will be going to all Christmas music all of the time. So you will probably hear the Little Drummer Boy played about a thousand times if you listen to those particular radio stations. In that song, a, a boy wonders what gift he can give in response to the, to the wonderful gift of Jesus the Savior who was born on Christmas Day. The boy wonders, what, what could I give to Jesus in response to his gift to us? And so the boy says to himself, the, the best gift that I can give to Jesus is to be able to use my gifts of playing the drums to honor him as my Savior. And I would agree that it is a good thing to want to give back to God some of the gifts that he has given to us, to use our gifts to glorify him. But I think that there is even a, a better gift that we can give to God than our own talents and gifts. And that better gift is the gift of our trust. What makes trust such a good gift to God? When we trust God, we are saying to him that we love him. Trust communicates love like nothing else. And so we need to give to God our trust if we want to bring him joy and delight. When we trust that Jesus and Jesus alone can save us from our sin, that delights God. When we trust that God loves us, even when our circumstances are hard, that trust delights God. And when our hands are empty, but we trust that God will provide for our needs, that trust delights God. Our trust is a great gift in God's sight. So do you know someone who is low on faith right now? Perhaps you know a, a Christian young person who has been reading some things that have been causing that young person to have doubts about God. Or do you know someone who is trapped in an empty and an immoral way of life, who does not have the faith to get out of that way of life right now? Do you see that person's face right now? Pray for that person that God would give to them the gift of faith in the days to come. Finally, our, our best wishes are wishes for grace for the church. This wish for grace is found in the very last verse of the letter to the Ephesians in verse 24. There we read, Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Just like the Apostle Paul began his letter with a, a wish for grace for the church, so he ends his letter with a wish for grace for the church. And he writes about grace 12 times in the letter to the Ephesians. Grace is an unearned, undeserved gift from God. Paul writes about that grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let's read those words together out loud. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what was our status before we met Jesus? Were we these lovely, beautiful people? Is that who we were? We were dead. We were dead in the sight of God. We had nothing attractive or appealing about us. We deserved nothing from God except for the judgment of God. But then God chose to be merciful to us. He chose to give us the grace that we so desperately needed. He chose to forgive our sins and to give us new life. New life in Jesus when we had faith that Christ died for our sins. What amazing grace. What an incredible gift that God gave to us. And in response to that gift of grace from God, we now give back to God a love that is incorruptible, a love that grows and grows and grows the more we walk with Christ. Our love for him never dies. It only grows stronger. Paul now closes his letter with a, a wish for more grace for the church that they might know God's love better and respond to that love with love of their own. That's what he wants for the church. A few weeks ago, after I, I started preaching about the armor of God that God has given to us for our battle against Satan and his demons, Jonathan Jensen from our church spoke to me about these pieces of the armor that protect us, and he said, I always thought that praise to God should be one of those pieces of armor that we put on when we praise God, that gives us fresh strength for the battle. I think that the Apostle Paul would agree with Jonathan. How does Paul close his letter to the Ephesians? He talks about how we respond to the grace of God that is poured out on us with a love that flows back to God. God's grace leads us to a response of love for Christ which leads us to fresh strength for our battle against the evil one. Church, have you grown weary in following Jesus? Does the thought of Jesus bring you no joy? When you woke up this morning, did you say to yourself, it's Sunday, I suppose I should go to church? Or did you say to yourself, I get to go and worship Jesus today. What a great Savior. I can't wait to worship Christ. If you've lost your joy in following Jesus, you need to go back to when you first realized that the grace of God is truly amazing. You need to go back to that day you need to regain your first love. And if there are others that you know about who have lost their joy in Christ, you need to pray for a fresh understanding of God's grace in their lives. God's grace is completely undeserved. 
and yet God gave you this incredible gift. Are you amazed by the grace of God this morning? If there is a Christian that you know who has lost their amazement, send them your best wishes this week. Send them a wish for grace in their life by your prayers for them. Pray that their love for Christ might grow stronger. Today, we, we close our study of the book of Ephesians. And I want to close by asking you some questions about Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you? Really? Is Jesus your joy? Do you delight in Jesus? Do you love Jesus more today than you did a year ago? Is your love for Jesus growing and growing every day? As one of your pastors, this is my greatest wish for you, that you would grow in your love for Christ so that you can say, without a doubt, my love for Jesus is stronger than it's ever been. There is no greater blessing than loving Jesus and knowing his love for you. If you want other Christians in your family and in your church to experience this blessing of loving Christ, pray for them this week. Pray that they will know God's peace, God's love. Pray that they will know faith in God. And pray that they will know God's grace in the week to come. Let's pray together. God, what a great God you are. You give us incredible blessings. Thank you for the blessings that you have poured out upon your church. I pray for your church today. I pray that you would remind them of the great gifts that you have given to them. I pray that this week that they will experience once again your peace, your love, faith, and I pray that they will experience your grace once again. Thank you, O oh God, for these precious gifts. May we delight in them and in you in the week to come. Amen.